Well, it's great to be with you. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Very good. Well, my name is Mackenzie Matthews. If we have not had a chance to meet, I direct Connection here at Timberline, and we're just so thankful that you guys are here. If you are a guest, if you are new, um, if you are new-ish or even joining online, thank you so much for being here. We would love to connect with you, to support you, to make it as easy as possible for you to engage here. You can connect with us online, or you have a card at that seat in front of you. There's a QR code that'll take you to a place where you can explore all the things we have happening here at Timberline. If you fill out that connect with us section, please do that. We would love to follow up with you. Um, we won't overwhelm you, I promise, but we want to reach out and say hi. We would love for you to do that. Hey, we get to celebrate something really exciting together this morning. Earlier this month, we had our one day to feed the world offering. It was a special offering. We only do special offerings like this a few times a year. This one, the one day to feed the world, the invitation was for you to calculate how much money you make in one day and then give it away. And the results are in. You guys, you gave um, over $147,000. Right? Yes. Wow. Um, what a blessing that is. Um, all of that money goes directly to our partners, Convoy of Hope and Serve 6-8, as they stand in the gap with those who are experiencing natural disasters and food disparity in the United States and around the world. Currently, Convoy of Hope is responding to disasters in Washington, Canada, Hawaii, California, and you are a part of that. We are a part of that through this one-day offering. If you still want to participate, you can. You still can. The special giving for this is open through September 4th. But thank you for your generosity in giving, for trusting God with your money and special offerings like this and with your general tithe and offering through Timberline. You can give online through the app or there is a box in the back of the auditorium. Hey, fall is here. Did you guys know? Did you know that fall's here? It's nice out. Did you feel that weather this morning? Who else was into it? Right? It was nice this morning. I'm excited about that. But with fall comes the start of a bunch of our groups. And so I wanted you guys to know that the time to get in a group is now. You know, I've heard it said um, that transformation happens in circles, not in rows. And the way to make a big church feel small is to get involved. Groups are the place where you can get involved. We have a fall directory that has all kinds of groups that we have. You can read through the open groups. We have support groups. We have social groups, small groups, Bible studies, all kinds of things that you can look into. There's actually um, an online version of this. If you use that QR code I talked about in, in front of you, you can get your phones out if you want to. I'll allow it. But you can pull that up. You can browse all of the thing, all of the groups we have. Um, we also have an expo today happening after service where you can pop up. It's upstairs um, where you can meet a bunch of group leaders. You can see the groups we have available. There's this little um, sheet where you can say which groups you're interested in. So you can sign up for groups. And if you drop it off before you leave or do the digital version at some point today, you could be entered to win a giveaway. There may or may not be a Shields gift card in there. I know you guys probably like Shields. So we'll hope to see you there. Please explore groups and just think about what it means to engage and build Jesus-centered friendship this fall. Now, we are continuing our series in Mark today with our Windsor campus pastor, John Mel, in the house. So enjoy. 
wonder if you've ever had a moment where words just escape from your mouth, and as soon as they do, you wish you could just, just grab them and shove them back in, never to see the light of day again. I have, and, and you get a special treat 1130 service, because this almost happened last service when right before I was coming up, my computer, with all my notes and all that, decided to kind of just shut off on me. And I was like, oh, they're going to get a real example of me doing something where words escape from my mouth, and I wish I could just shove them back in. But fortunately, that didn't happen. I know all of this is quite the confidence builder for the guy that we've entrusted with a mic this weekend, right? But I was a... Uh, sixth grade teacher for five years before I was a pastor. And by the way, side note, teachers, counselors, coaches, administrators, and ministry volunteers, here at the start of the school year, we are so proud of you. We are so thankful for the service and the love and the leadership that you are giving to our youth. Critical, critical times on that front. But I was a teacher and I was doing my teacher thing at the end of a quarter, end of the quarter award ceremony. And see, the thing is, the day before the award ceremony, I decided that I was going to change who it was that I was going to give the character award to. Because I had just witnessed a student doing a very impressive act of character. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to seize the moment. I'm going to take this situation that this student did, and they thought no one else had noticed. And I'm going to highlight and celebrate them in front of the whole school so that they will never forget that the good things that you do, even when you think no one is watching, get celebrated. Such good intentions on my part. (laughs) And so by the time it got around to my turn recognizing students, I went through the various awards that I had knowing that this character award was sitting there last. And by the time I got to this last character award, I got so excited And I shared a little bit of the story that I had seen of this this student exhibiting great character. And so I I raised the certificate, and with great pride and buildup, I announced the wrong student's name. See, I hadn't updated the certificate that I had, and so I shared this story about this student, but unfortunately I announced the name of this student, so I course-corrected. I said, oh, um, actually, it's for this, this other student. And the words were out of my mouth, and they were just buzzing around the room, causing all kinds of awkwardness and confusion, and as a couple of parents made clear to me later, anger. <laughs> the words were out of my mouth, and I wish I could just grab them and just, just shove them right back in. But nope. Anyway, that's me. Good to be with you this weekend. Um, <laughs> Um, if, if we've never met, I'm John. I'm the campus pastor at our Timberline Church, Windsor Campus, and I think we can all agree, let's hope this weekend goes better than the award ceremony years ago. <laughs> to know me, to know what excites me so much about what I get to do here at Timberline Church is to know the greatness of Jesus and what he's doing. So I want us to direct our attention to him and look at that. As you heard, we're in Mark the Mark sermon series, Mark chapter 9. We'll be finishing chapter 9 up this weekend. If you have Bibles or Bible apps, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 9, verse 38, and we'll be there in just a moment. I think we should get some some head start leaning into what we're going to cover here this weekend. So I want to go back to what Pastor Elvis, excuse me, Pastor Donnie was talking about last, we get those 
get those two mixed up so often, um, to what Pastor Donnie was talking about last week. He's at Windsor this weekend, and I'm honored to follow uh, what he had to share last weekend. I especially found it fascinating how, how it was remarkable that the disciples had forgotten that Jesus did not select any of them because they were great. And yet here they are talking about who it is among them that is the greatest infighting within the family of faith. Seems ridiculous, guys. This isn't who you should be fighting with. This isn't your quarrel. Those silly disciples. Fortunately, we don't make mistakes like that, do we? And on the backs of that quarreling, infighting among the family of faith, that's right where we find the disciples in verse 38. Verse 38, John said to him, Jesus, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Okay, pause it right there. I wonder if that's a moment where John the apostle had the same kind of experience I had, where, where once the words come out, you wish you could just do a redo. Doesn't something just sound a little bit off about what he has to say here to Jesus? Hey, hey, Jesus, there's, there's this other guy over here, and he is casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Huh, wasn't casting out demons the exact thing that the disciples had recently, like verses 14 through 29 of this chapter, been trying to do? But they couldn't. Apparently, they were so caught up in themselves, so caught up in what they were trying to do and the greatness that they were exhibiting that they had forgotten you can't do works like that in ministry on your own willpower. Things like that don't happen on your own strength. They only happen because of the greatness of God. They had forgotten that. And I think that kind of still lingers here when they're opposing this guy. And so let's hear what Jesus has to say. Verse 39, but Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me, for the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. This is brilliance. I love it how Jesus meets his disciples exactly where they find themselves in the moment, both then and now, and also sees the big picture of what he's trying to get them to understand. Think about it. Who is it that these disciples have been quarreling with as recently as last weekend's message? One another. They're infighting. And now this new guy that is succeeding in casting out demons when they could not. What's their problem? Still infighting. And here's the thing. There is an effort, an effort for the disciples to resist. There is a battle on hand. More on that in a bit. But a person that is successfully casting out demons. And we learned a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Derry was preaching that, that that only happened through the power of God, through a dependence and a reliance upon the power of God. Someone that is successfully doing that in the name of Jesus 
the conclusion should be that is not your enemy. That is not where your efforts of resistance and opposition should be. For the one who is not against us is for us, Jesus said. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ is rewarded by God himself. Even the smallest deeds among the family of faith are seen and rewarded by God. Even though we're just a handful of verses into today's passage, I want us to latch on to this. Because this is where Jesus is going to take and expand in dramatic fashion in the next part. To his disciples, then and now, Jesus is redirecting, reorienting where our efforts of resistance should be. Somewhere here, you and I should see at least a little bit of a reflection. Let me take this one on myself. Am I so caught up in my version of kingdom building, my brand of Christianity promotion, that I kind of, the kind that I personally jive with, the, the kind that I resonate with and get passionate about, am I so caught up in expanding and promoting that that I spend a disproportionate amount of time and energy resisting new things, different things that God may want to be doing, especially if he's doing them through others and not myself? I'm not just speaking as a pastor here. As a fellow follower of Jesus, there are some things that people of the faith can do that, if I'm totally honest, can make me a little uncomfortable, make me want to pump the brakes a little bit, or maybe even makes me jealous. Like, why is God moving in that other person's life and efforts and not mine? And hoping that you're not too disappointed at my honesty here, I take a lot of humility and perspective that it's not just me that can feel this way. The church has been dealing with this kind of thing for 2,000 years. Paul said in Philippians 1, 17 through 18, even amongst differences and serious issues in the church, Christ is proclaimed. And for that I rejoice. We are all imperfect representations of that. There's going to be discomfort, maybe even friction, when our differences come against one another. It's called iron sharpening iron. And as long as we keep the main things the main things, keep looking to and listening to Jesus, let's keep it together, church. And we don't just mean keeping this church together, this Timberline church family. We mean the brothers and sisters all throughout this region and the world that are part of what Timberline likes to talk about as great Bible-believing, Jesus-loving churches. As a foreshadow to what we're going to encounter in the rest of today's passage, I wholeheartedly believe that Jesus is saying both then and now, there is a defining battle taking place. And the kingdom is breaking in. Be a part of that together. Make no mistake, we are in a battle. And the battle that we're in is hard enough. Am I right? 
The battle for souls that we are called to bring the life and the love and the message of Jesus into, it's hard enough than to suffer infighting and friendly fire among the family of faith. So stick together. The people of God need to live at peace with one another. Jesus said in John 13, 34 through 35, just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Your differences, my differences, the differences of the Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church right down the road, any chance those differences are actually a part of the beautiful, diverse, multifaceted way that the kingdom is breaking in? This weekend in particular is a wonderful opportunity for this church family to, to put into practice how can I practice preserving the peace with people of the faith. You heard Mackenzie talk about it, the expo, the group's launch that we have just right out those doors and upstairs. It's a phenomenal opportunity for us to rub shoulders with one another in the church, to make a big church small. Because this is how I'm going to know where I can practice preserving the peace with other brothers and sisters in Christ. I got to be connected to them. Because everything about me and everything about our world is going to try to separate us. It's how our flesh works, and it's what the enemy taps into. Divide and conquer is the enemy's strategy. So biblically, our response is hold it together. Preserve the peace. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about in this next section in dramatic fashion. Preserve the peace. Pursue Christ-like unity, especially among the household of faith. That's what Paul said in Galatians 6.10. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. And now returning to John and the other disciples, I'm not sure if it was jealousy or territorialism or what it was that they were opposing with this new guy, but Jesus' lesson continues with them, and he really lays it on thick. Let's pick it up. Verse 42, Jesus continues teaching. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves. And be at peace with one another. <laughs> wow. Jesus really takes this to a whole nother level. <laughs> another, that's a word I like to use out in Weld County. How about this? A whole new level. 
And, and while we're kind of tapping into the fun here, Jesus gets pretty salty here, doesn't he? Stay salty, church. Have salt in yourselves. If you're experienced in culinary arts or if you just like fine dining, you know that salt is highly valuable, not just for purposes of food seasoning, but also food preservation, what the fine dining restaurants call food aging. Salt has been used for thousands of years with the unique ability to preserve food, to remove impurities. In fact, as a history nerd, I'll expand that salt has been a founding contributor of the development of societies because it has helped eliminate a dependence on seasonal foods and also allowed for food to be transported across long distances. All that being said, salt is good. Jesus said it, I believe it. And maybe you think I'm laying it on thick, but I've, I've heard after every single service I've done this weekend, someone come up to me and share two or three more reasons why salt is good. I've kept note of them. One is that salt enhances sweetness. Think chocolate. <laughs> Another person shared how salt is a disinfectant. And then kind of to top it all off, someone shared with me, salt is essential for life. <laughs> all right, I got it. Yay, salt. Jesus said it, salt is good. So if you're a first century audience receiving this lesson directly from Jesus, and he says, have salt in yourselves, do you think there's any chance anyone walked away and took that literally? Like, okay, well, I'm going to go home and tell my wife, honey, I need more salt in my diet. Jesus said to follow him, salt is important. Do you think anyone took it literally? No, I think the metaphor language is pretty clear there. And in fact, I think the metaphor language continues to be clear when Jesus is talking about gouging out eyes and removing body parts. But more on that in a sec. But I want to wrap up this salt piece. It's not like Jesus left the meaning of this metaphor vague. He comes back at the very end and summarizes his whole entire meaning. Be salty. Be a preserver of what? The peace. In what context? Why is Jesus telling his disciples, be a preserver of the peace? Because they continue infighting. They continue to fight and oppose all kinds of efforts of people that they're supposed to be at peace with. And I think if we're honest, so can we. We can spend so much of our time, a disproportionate amount of our time, resisting efforts of brothers and sisters in Christ that we're supposed to be preservers of the peace with. Be a part of what keeps people together, as the first point emphasized, especially among the family of faith. That is why we feel this is such a tremendous opportunity. If you're not a part of relationships known connected here at the local church. That's what we want for you, an opportunity to live this out because the battle is real. Your brothers and your sisters in faith are not the real enemy, but you are facing one. So for more on that intense imagery, I want to put to rest the issue on whether we should take Jesus's words as 
literal amputation, if that's what he's going for, or hyperbole. For one, if Jesus was intending his church to practice literal amputation, then the church would be filled with only handsless, feetless, eyeless people, including myself. Fortunately, I don't know any practice of faith that has actually taken root in this perspective. But moreover, don't miss this point. The removal of body parts would not deal with the root issue of sin. Your body part does not cause you to sin. What does? Well, Jesus taught about that back in Mark 7, 20 through 23. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Got any of those symptoms anywhere in your life? Yeah, we all do. You did not walk into a church of perfection this weekend or join us online visiting a church of perfection. We all are infected by this. And Jesus, back to today's passage, is saying, that is what you need to be opposing. What we are really supposed to be opposing is sin, not others. Keep it together church. You're going to need one another. Because each of us is an infected one. Let's help and heal and love one another. Be salty. Be a point of preserving the peace, a preservative, and be a disinfectant against the things that are going to threaten that. And as for the things that we should oppose, this is where the hyperbole of Jesus really rings true. Take it very seriously. You would only take such drastic measures as amputation if you were in a really desperate situation. And see, the thing is, when it comes to sin, most of us don't think we're in a really desperate situation. When it comes to sin in our lives, we we placate it. We, We shove it under the rug. We pretend it's not there or we manage it. Or we make it smaller. That's not really a big deal in my mind, in my life. That's not really a threat to me. Jesus says, take your sin seriously. Take all kinds of efforts to resist and oppose that getting a hold on your life. Why does Jesus care so much that we take sin seriously? Because he loves us so much that anything that will threaten eternal life with him and life the way he has designed it to work, anything that will threaten that needs to be radically dealt with. And we don't take sin that seriously, and neither did the disciples. For the disciples, sin was not their greatest enemy. Who was? Well, lately it seems like one another, right? That's who they're fighting so much. But, but more than that, who was it that the disciples were envisioning as their greatest enemy? Who was it that the disciples thought 
the Messiah was going to come and liberate them from? Rome. Our pagan, ungodly, violent rulers that have dominated God's people for far too long. And here's the thing, throughout the rest of this series on Mark, throughout the rest of this good news gospel of Mark, we're going to see the disciples' understanding of Jesus as the Messiah clash with Jesus's. Because even then, somehow, even with the evil oppression of the Roman military machine, even Rome is not your greatest enemy that Jesus came to save you from. What you are really supposed to be spending all kinds of efforts resisting is sin, not others. For Jesus, in deep love, it is so important for people to enter eternal life that anything that might prevent that needs to be radically dealt with. As if talking about the word sin today were not enough to make many of us uncomfortable. Undoubtedly, every time our passage used the word hell, there were blood pressure spikes throughout this facility. We were in the car the other day uh, with a sweet seven-year-old in the car with us, and, and somehow, I forget if it was in conversation or in a song or something like that, but somehow the word hell came up. And this sweet seven-year-old goes, oh, Jesus doesn't want us to say that word. Jesus gets nervous when we say that word. (laughs) Well, for one, I love her sensitivity. I do think we should all have an incredible sensitivity to that word and refuse to ever take it lightly or use it flippantly. And of course, I know with the word hell, we're talking about an English term of an ancient concept, but I'm not going to go down that detour right now. But in a way that admittedly takes some level of understanding, Jesus is constantly throughout this good news gospel of Mark, proclaiming in every way that he can that there is a defining battle that you're in the midst of. And the kingdom is breaking in against the destruction and the opposition of hell. This is a battle for people's souls. A very real battle for the hearts and lives of all people. And sin has infected and separated people from God's intended life and eternal life. And the one who created these people is also the one who made a way to conquer sin. And heal us. And win us back. Jesus' mission to take on that enemy of sin and death and free people from the destruction and disunity that has threatened our lives, that mission has come. And we will one day see Jesus take this battle head on on the cross on Good Friday. That's why I love on this campus this, this touch of the cross that hangs over us all, reminding us that Jesus took on our battle with our greatest enemy and he conquered it once and for all. That cross hangs over us as a reminder. It is done. It is finished. It is dealt with. Your greatest enemy has been defeated. And then death forever defeated on Easter Sunday. And from there, out go his missionaries. 
his church. We go out with his message that he has conquered our greatest enemy. We can live in light of that. We can be liberated and freed. And in order for us to share that message with a desperate world that needs it, we're gonna need to stick together, church. So preserve the peace, especially within the household of faith. Preserve unity and allow the salt within us to disinfect anything that might threaten that. Like I said in the beginning, I can tend to be someone that gets so excited from the things I've encountered on in Jesus that I can spend so much time focusing on him. And I also know that his heart is to connect with the hearts and lives of all people intimately and practically and personally where you're at. So as I invite the worship team back up, I'd like us to have a moment where we can do some soul work in our lives. This isn't something I can do for you, but he can do it in you. I want you to allow God to, to use maybe these three points of reflection, and if something sticks with you, if something stands out, hits a nerve, make a note about that. God's doing something in you. Allow him room for that. So here's the points of reflection, things that I'm asking myself as well. Where or with whom can I be active in preserving the peace? Especially within the household of faith. May not be easy. In fact, it may not be possible by willpower alone. That's why, just like with the power of casting out demons, it doesn't have to happen on willpower alone. It can't in many ways. It has to happen by prayer. God, help me be active in preserving the peace with this person. If that's hitting a nerve with you, write that down. Start by praying over that. God's doing some work. Pay attention. Secondly, do I want to repent? Which means just oppose my sin and turn to Jesus. Jesus desires life and eternal life for you. And anything that keeps you from that, even if it's your own resistance, needs to be laid at the foot of the cross. Jesus' love is breaking in pursuit of you. John 3.17 tells us that Jesus did not come into this world to condemn the world or oppose the world, but to save the world through him. And if that's where you're at, we'd love to come alongside of you. We're supposed to be doing this together. Use that connection card. Share, reach out to us. Share with us what's going on in your life. Or there's a prayer team that's going to be up here after the service. Come forward. Allow us to, to pray over you and celebrate what God's doing in your life. Talk to somebody. We're supposed to do this together. And lastly, Thank God for other churches. I'd love it if during this next worship song and then as we go, we could be a part of this uniting effort with other brothers and sisters in faith, thanking God for other churches, maybe even by name, that there are other churches that, that sing maybe even these same songs and Jesus himself is being worshiped and glorified through other church bodies. 
Thank God for that. Let me pray over us as we enter into worship. God, I pray that you're doing some soul work in lives. I pray that you're doing the work that only you can do. That if there are points in relationships in our lives where you're calling us to be preservers of peace, help us be biblically salty in those situations. Not just default to the way of the world or the way of the flesh, but but to say we need each other in the household of faith. We need to be preservers of the peace. Help us learn from this and glorify you with our unity beyond just this church. As we drive by other churches or befriend other church members, God, help us be thankful for your kingdom come, your church, way bigger than us, way bigger than Timberline. We thank you for that. We worship you in light of that. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together as we have this opportunity. we go, we can keep in mind 
Yes, the connection opportunities as great opportunities to, to keep it together as preservers of the peace with one another. But man, throughout the week, be thankful for other churches. Be thankful for differences. Be asking God, how can I be a point of preservative and allow salt in my life to disinfect anything that may threaten your kingdom plan, your church? God, I pray over this church as we go. I pray that we would be people that are active in preserving the peace among the household of faith. Help it start with me. Help it start in that relationship. Give us your power in us and through us, we pray. And we go as your church. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.